0: It's good to see you. And everybody online, how are you doing? Well, let's, should we just dive straight in? Why not? Save time. Well, as we know, we started a, a new focus this year for 2023, coming out of our vision and values as a church. Sarah outlined them yesterday. We're talking about focusing on community. Church isn't a building. It's not a meeting. Or is it might meeting a building but it is a community first. We are the people of God, the family of God, the community of God with Christ in the middle. He's our center. And uh, that's the first thing. The second thing, we're focusing on mission and modeling Jesus' model with words. Jesus had words. He had a wonderful message. But he came in a person, he lived the life, and we live the Jesus life individually, loving and serving, and we live it and express it corporately as the body of Christ together, but we do it on Monday morning too. So he had a message, he came in a body, so it's the way that we live, and also he healed the sick, and uh, jesus that was an integral part of Jesus' mission, and we also said that We're going to focus particularly on healing because we've seen many, many healings for more than 20 years now in our church. But as Jesus says, greater things, than greater works than these will you do. Speaking of his miracles... And so basically what he was saying to his disciples is that you've seen me heal the sick, but you're going to do greater things. That's the extent of them. More miracles. And there is more for us to grow in. Just like Chloe said this morning about moving from Velcro to uh, doing your shoes. Every aspect of the Christian life demands growth. We grow in knowing God. We grow in loving God and loving others. We grow in our prayer life. We grow in our understanding of Scripture. And we grow in the gifts and the power of the supernatural. We grow in healing. At the moment, we can be in the shallow end. We've seen many, many healings. But we can grow in them that they become greater and they become more. And this is what Jesus was talking about. You've started, boys, to the 12 disciples, and the 72 that also healed the sick. But greater things, you're going to grow in their reach and their extent. So I'm going to talk to you this morning as a foundation teaching on healing. Now, some of you will be familiar with this teaching if you've been in uh, the church since the days of Noah. And some of you, this is going to be new for you. And the first thing I want to talk to you about healing, if we're going to be a church that that continues to heal the sick, and when I talk about healing the sick, I'm not talking about the specialists, the ministers, the leaders, the small group leaders, the elders, the senior leadership team. Every single member of the body of Christ has been called to heal the sick. Everyone, when the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 in the upper room, that first church, Jesus says, the power of the Spirit is coming to you that you may be my witnesses. And the witness of Christ is to do mission like Jesus, with powerful words, with a powerful lifestyle, and powerful miracles. Paul says, the kingdom of God is not about talk, but about power. And if you're a part of the kingdom of God, you have the power to heal the sick. But like everything else, we have to grow. Now, one of the most critical things for you and I to grow in healing the sick and become a healing ministry for Jesus wherever we are is to have confidence about the will of God to heal. If if I do not have faith and confidence that God wants to heal people, I'm not going to see a lot of healing. Paul says, in the Romans 12, if you prophesy, in other words, exercise the spiritual gift of healing, uh, prophecy, do it according to your faith. If you need wisdom, ask in faith. If I want to minister healing, pray for people to be healing. The starting place is, I've got to know that it's God's will to heal you. And if I don't know it's not God's will to heal, I'm not going to have a confidence in pursuing it continually, through thick and thin, to grow. So two big questions we must settle if we desire desire to see constant healing amongst us and through us and greater healings is this. This question must be settled. Does God want to heal all people of sickness? That's a big question because some people think, oh, we... He, he'll, he, he wants to heal you, but he doesn't want to heal you. He, doesn't, he wants to heal you, but he won't, doesn't want to heal me. And as pres- especially these questions can come in our minds when we have been struggling with sickness for a period of time. Or when you get to a certain age, for example. I remember blood coming to me, and I say this to my shame. Many of you know blood she's going to be with the lord now at a great age and i remember coming to, uh, coming to me to ask to be healed and she was in her late 70s and she was in a lot of pain and i remember this thought going to my i said yeah but that's what happens when you get old and so I prayed for her, and she got healed of the arthritis, and the swelling went down, and she got totally healed. And then the following week, she came back to church, and somebody prayed for her generally. I think it was Sarah. And then she went home, and she found that she'd been totally healed of deafness in one ear that she'd had for 30 years. And to my shame, I'm thinking, well... Yeah, I know God can heal, but you, there comes a time when we just accept it's not going to happen because that's what happened when you get old. Oh, my goodness, God taught me something that day. That people are not to be disqualified under any circumstance or any condition, even the, the great age that they are. and the length of time, Sarah, she had a neurological disability from a sports injury for seven or eight years, and I prayed for her, prayed for her, Leadership friends, ministry friends would come and stay in our home. They prayed for us. We prayed for us at church. She was in agony every single day of her life, and occasionally she was in tolerable pain. And then one night, a friend of mine who believed in the teacher I'm gonna teach you today um, prayed for Sarah. And he prayed for her once in the meeting. And says, Is it any better? And she said, no, we prayed for her twice. She said, no, prayed for her three times, said no, four times, said no. She was the first person he was praying for in the healing meeting. And again, to my shame, to my shame, I said to myself, oh, Sam, get her to sit down. You're ruining the meeting. (laughs) But because he knew that it was the will of God to heal, even though it was a long period that he would not give up, And on about the seventh or eighth go, she had a tiny little improvement, and then a few prayers after that, she was totally healed. Totally healed. And nobody would ever know she had been suffering from such intolerable pain, and some of you will remember some of the challenges that she had and we had as a family with that injury. I could go on and on, but we reason to ourselves, because we haven't seen people healed, or it's been a long time healing, or blah, blah, blah. We reason ourselves, in this circumstances, maybe God doesn't want to heal. And in the light of Scripture, in the light of Scripture, I want to challenge that head on at the moment. So here we go. Big question. Does God want to heal all people? Well, here's a second question to it. Is there ever a time when it is God's perfect will for someone not to be healed, and made whole now the answer to that question is very similar to this question does God want everybody to go to heaven does God want everybody to discover Jesus forgiveness salvation new life and belong to him that they would not perish but they would have everlasting life does God want anybody to go to heaven in his perfect will? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? The answer is, of course God doesn't want to... And he doesn't want one person to be left out of heaven. Let me ask you this question. Does everybody get to heaven? No. Here's the thing about the way God's engagement with humanity. God doesn't always get what he wants. Now he can work all things out in our lives for our good. And he has in a wonderful way of even when something really bad happens, he can make it turn out good and conform it to his purposes. But it doesn't mean that all the bad stuff that happens in the world, the pain, the disaster, the struggle, the sickness, all the things that happen in the world, is because God wants it. There's a whole load of stuff that happens in the world that God doesn't want. God is good. There's a whole load of stuff that is not good. We have to understand something about the sovereignty of God. Just because God is sovereign and all-powerful and can do all things doesn't mean that everything that happens in the world, God wants. Let me illustrate this with a verse of Scripture. Uh, If you could bring the verse up, thanks. It says this. The Lord is not show in keeping his, slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is good and pleasing to God our Savior. He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That's the will of God. He wants all people to come to, come to, the will, uh, to be saved. Oh, Do every, Does everybody get saved? No, he wants it, but he doesn't always get what he wants, because there are circumstances, there are issues, there are responses, there are things going on in the world and in life where God isn't micromanaging all the time, but he is inviting all the time. So here's a uh, couple of things very important truth. God hates the sin that separates us from him. He hates it. He loves everybody, but he hates the sin that separates us from him. God also hates the sin that brought sickness and suffering into the world. Now, when we're talking about sickness, we have to understand the root of sickness if we're going to understand God's attitude and heart and will concerning sickness. So he hates the sin that separates us from God. That's why he sent Jesus, so that we could be forgiven, restored. But he also hates the sickness, sorry, he hates the sin that brought sickness and suffering into the world. Now, I'm not talking about my personal sin and your personal sin. I'm not talking about getting sick because of my sin and your sin. I'm talking about the sickness that came into the world because of the sin that was brought into the world in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, our first four parents, the ones who were created by God in the Garden back in the beginning... And there was no sin, there was no sickness, there was no suffering, there was no earthquakes, there was no famine, there was no tsunamis, there was no war, there was no hatred, there was no, it was perfect. There was no thorns, there was no mildew on crops that caused bad crops, there was no flooding. It was a perfect environment. God made, says, He made everything good and He blessed it. And everything was absolutely perfect. And then we read in the book of Genesis. Now, the book of Genesis, the first book, couple of pages of Genesis, they are poetry and prose to explain the why and the purpose of God's creation, not necessarily the how. We like to look at Genesis and look at the how. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Day one, day two, day three, day three. And we look at And we get hung up with the how. Actually, it's a, it's a piece of prose, that, and the purpose of the prose and the poetry is to explain why God created it and the purpose of it and how the whole thing works, not the how we created it, my, my communicating. And we'll see this. So here we go, Adam and Eve, perfect environment, God's goodness, God's kingdom ruling. It says, let us make man in our image that they may rule. So he made them male and female. We've heard me talk about this before. So humans now are being given permission to rule on earth on God's behalf. And then we see the craftiest poetry form to explain what's going on. The craftiest, wiliest creature in all creation. The serpent representing Satan, the snake, coming along. And the snake comes into the world... to actually tempt Eve, through Eve, and Adam, them to change allegiance from living life under the rule of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, which creates the, and has created and maintains the perfect environment, under the evil one, the corrupt one, the fallen one, the dysfunctional one, the one who rebelled against God's goodness. And Jesus came into the world to destroy the devil's work, the devil's influence. It says the devil's strategy, here's the devil's strategy in the garden, was to bring separation from God and death into the world through humanity's sin. He hates the purposes of God. He hates God. He rebelled against him in the beginning. He's been thrown out of his heavenly state. And now he wants to rule on earth. He can't rule in heaven. But he hasn't given up his designs to ruling and messing everything up on earth. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, Don't disagree with me. I'll explain it again later when I get home. So the devil's strategy was to separate humanity from God so that he could rule in God's place through humanity on earth. And through humanity's sin, he brought corruption and death into the world. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Okay. What is death? Death is sickness being worked out and multiplied in our bodies until our bodies can't sustain life anymore. And there's a various degree of, you know, from an ache and a pain to this is it, I'm gone. And sickness comes into the world through sin. Because sin is the separating ourselves and the changing of our allegiance from being under the rule of God to be under the dominion of Satan. And it affects our bodies. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, death began to come into the world and corruption. So here's what the devil says to Eve right at the beginning. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Did God... Because that's what God said. He look, you can eat of all of the good stuff. Just don't eat this. Don't eat this one. Because he put a tree in the garden that Adam and Eve would always have free will. So one of the things about being a human being is you've got free will. And there isn't the opportunity to choose wrong and choose right. Then you become dehumanized. So that's why the tree was there. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't a trap. God never intended them to eat the fruit. Remember, God doesn't always get what he wants, does he? Because he's given us free will. But if without putting the tree in there, you wouldn't be a human being. If you without choice, you wouldn't be a human, you'd be a robot. So he put the tree there. And he says, Don't eat that, because if you eat that, basically you're changing allegiance and you're moving from death into life, uh, from, from life to death. Satan knows this. So he says, Okay. Did God really say? Eat that fruit, and you'll die. The the sickness process will come into the world. Corruption, dysfunctionality, earthquakes, the whole thing will start going wrong, and it starts with human bodies, because they're the head of the human race. And Eve replies this. Um, What does Eve say? Yeah, Eve says, God did say, you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, And you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent says, you will certainly not die. He's lying to her now because he's a deceiver. For God knows that when you eat eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good from evil. And the greatest deception of all is a little bit of truth with a little bit of lies. You see, the lie in it is that you won't die. The sickness process won't begin to to decay and the corruption won't start coming into human experience that's that's the lie the truth in it yeah your eyes will be opened and you will be like God who knows the difference between good and evil God never intended human beings to be able to know in their experience the difference between good and evil because we don't have the capacity to resist it God knows the difference between good and evil, but he is morally perfect, morally mature, morally holy. So he understands the difference between it, but he doesn't engage with it. But human beings now, oh, one minute, they would they never tasted evil. They, they didn't know what it was like. Think about a color you've never seen before. You can't until you see it. Think like a taste you've never tasted before. You can't until you've tasted it. Adam and Eve, in their perfection and in their innocence and their purity, never tasted evil. And it was never in God's intention for evil to be able to indwell within them, that they would know what it is to hate, and they would know what it is to be jealous, and they would know what it is to be self-centered. They just were intended to know what it is to be pure and holy and love. And care for the garden and the well being of everything on the planet like God does out of love. But now, yes, in a way, they did become like God, but it was distorted because it was through a deception that they now had their eyes open that evil is a possibility, but not only just a possibility, it had now entered their being through the deception of the garden. The famous phrase Am I communicating? Good. So then, after this, the deception takes place, and through deception, the woman took the fruit of the tree, she took some, and she ate it, and she gave it to her husband, who was also with her, and he ate it. And in that moment, Adam and Eve ate and sinned, and in ate, eating, the death process came into human experience, which basically is the working of corruption and sickness in the human body and all creation. And all creation, from that moment in time, starting with Adam and Eve, who are the head of creation, have become dysfunctional and get corrupt, become sick and die. Every living thing on the planet dies. Trees, plants, Animals and every part of creation is in chaos and dysfunctionality. That's why we get droughts, that's why we get tsunamis, that's why we get earthquakes, because Adam and Eve, the head of creation, fell, and with it, all creation. But not only that, in that moment, they had the death sentence sickness, and human beings began to get sick, and we have been suffering from this. And we all end up in the grave, as they say. Only two things you can guarantee, death and taxes. We all end in the grave, but that's where it all started. Because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And opened the door for the evil ones work to happen in human experience. And the wonderful thing about God, at that precise moment, that happened in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3, in that precise moment, God makes a commitment to the human race to do something about it, to reverse it all. That he would give a child to the woman who would crush the authority and power of the evil one and his works. Next slide, please. So after all this happened, and it all came into the light, God says to the snake, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between you and your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and will strike your heel. Head speaks of authority and power. To crush means to, to remove and to destroy. And basically what he is saying is that I'm going to give through a woman, a person who will undo and reverse what has happened in the Garden of Eden. And that happened through Jesus. It, that commitment that God made was fulfilled through Jesus, who was born of a virgin, not of a man, through a woman, died and he died on the cross to break and crush the authority of Satan's work, sickness and all of the corruption in the world through Jesus Christ. And we can see it beautifully explained here and worked out through Isaiah chapter 3. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. Should bring it up for me if you don't mind. It says, talking of Jesus, The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. You see, he's undoing the separation. The, the punishment or the consequence of sin is separation from God. They were cast out of the Garden of Eden. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. They weren't right with God now because of their sin, but Christ was punished so that we could have peace and forgiveness. He's redoing and undoing the work of the garden. Secondly, by his wounds we're healed. The death process is now being reversed. And one day we're all going to live again and get brand new bodies and we'll never get sick. It says, therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return And everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and all pain and sorrow shall be wiped away. And we will know eternal life, free from it all. It says, like sheep we've gone astray. We've changed our allegiance. Each one has turned to his own way. We came out of the rule of God, under the dominion of darkness. And the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of, it all, of us all so that we could be brought back. This is the, this is the whole thing being reversed. And when Jesus was on the cross, they crowned him with a crown of thorns and an, inspiration, an inscription was put over him and it says, King of the Jews. And when Jesus died with the thorn upon his head and rose again as a man, he was... He brought back the kingdom of God to human beings, because as a man, he was now proclaimed king of all creation. You see, he's always been king of creation as God, but Jesus became a man so that he could be king of creation to give the kingdom back to humanity and change the allegiance and undo everything that was done in the garden so that we could be restored to the rulership under the governance of God. And God's rulership could be restored in us and through us. And a process began to take place where everything could be restored. And restored means it happens over time, but a time will come when the restoration is completed. So in the moment when Jesus was crucified and through his resurrection... Well, as a man who is also God, he brought the kingdom back to human beings and made it possible for human beings to be set free from the rule of sin and Satan because he broke it and then did it. He crushed, crushed the serpent's head in that stripe because when Jesus died upon the cross, as a human being, it shouldn't have happened because he never sinned. You see, Satan overstepped the mark. He never sinned and yet he died. And so he had the power and the authority to break it and undo it. He didn't die in his divinity. You can't kill God, but in his humanity he did. So that the curse could be broken over human beings. And the consequences and the works of it. Not just sin, but the effects of it. And what are the effects of sin? Separation from God. What are the other effects of sin? Sickness in the body that brings ultimate death. That's the only reason you're ever going to live forever is because sickness has been broken. Because it can't work in your body, bring death anymore. And the works of the evil one and the power of the evil one has been destroyed. And Jesus is heaven's king and his kingdom is now replaces everything that the devil has established in you and in your bodies and all creation. And Jesus, as a man who is God, has all authority to bring the rule of God back to human beings, to creation, and through that, uh, to human beings and through human beings to all creation. Okay. And he gives us authority to execute and advance the kingdom and, and do Jesus' work as kingdom advancers and rulers through faith in him. And the rulership that Adam and Eve lost in the garden is now restored. So Jesus says to his disciples, I confer upon you a kingdom. And, the, and we are now brought into the kingdom of God. And we're a kingdom of priests and kings. So for this reason, Jesus came out of the wilderness. And he said... Repent, which means change your mind, because the kingdom of God is at hand. So what he's saying now, is, says, Jesus comes, bringing the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, are interchangeable terms. They're one and the same thing. And basically, when he's saying repent or change your mind, he means change your mind about the world you live in because a new order is coming. Jesus the king's here. And I'm bringing king... God's rule, perfect rule in heaven that should have been actually reflected and not lost in Eden. It's coming back to Eden. It's coming back to the world. And it's starting with me, perfect and holy, the king of heaven. And a new order is here. Satan's authority has been crushed and his works, the outworkings of all that he's been doing is being undone. So this is what Jesus asks his disciples to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job now. To bring the rule of God, which has been established in Christ and can now be brought back to human beings because his work on the cross, on earth. It's an ongoing process. Pray this prayer. Pray it every day. Pray it all the time. Pray it on your own. Pray it together. Pray and work this out. This is the, this is the mandate of Christ and the mandate of human beings who are in Christ to, to bring in through their prayers and their activity the kingdom of God, the rule of God back to earth. It's the first line of the prayer. hallow be your name, your will be done, and your kingdom come, your rule come on earth. In my lifetime, increase it. I want to bring more of your rule, more of your kingdom on earth. Now, let me explain something about the Lord's Prayer. There's a tendency for us to push it into the future. Oh, what we're praying for is that Jesus will turn and change everything, and the kingdom of God will come to earth perfectly. One day that will happen. But this prayer is not about the future. Every line in this prayer is about the present tense. Let me explain it to you. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. How do we know if that's future and present? Well, it's by the context of the prayer. Okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread, present or future. Well, we don't need it when we're in heaven. We don't need daily bread when you're in heaven. It's about now. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, present or future. Well, when Christ comes... There'll be no need to pray that prayer because there'll be no offense. Everything will be perfect. Deliver us from the evil one, present or future. Deliver us from temptation, present or future. The context of the prayer is present. We are to be bringing the rule of God into our present world here on earth, wherever we stand and wherever we sit. So, Jesus, so you think, okay, well, what, what, is the king, what does the will of God that is done in heaven look like on earth? I mean, what does that look like? Well, Jesus told us parables to teach us what the kingdom of God and the rule of God was like. He taught people to, to explain what the kingdom of God, the rule of God is like. I mean, the sermon amounts a real good one. And then he acted, he, he said, well, and he, he did miracles to show us. His miracles are teachings what it's like in heaven he was bringing heaven to earth and we know what heaven looks like a little bit and we also know what it doesn't look like so let me ask you something about heaven will you see sickness in heaven will you see pain in heaven will you see suffering and poverty in heaven will you see injustice in heaven will you see death in heaven Will you see arthritis in heaven? Will you see it? No, you won't. You'll see none of this. Because sin doesn't reign in heaven. And where sin doesn't reign, death doesn't reign. And where death doesn't reign, sickness doesn't reign. Yeah? So when Jesus says, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth, just the same as it is and operating in heaven... Should it surprise us at all that when Jesus was on earth bringing in the kingdom, he taught about the kingdom, dealt with injustice, challenged people who were unjust, and healed the sick. Because he was basically undoing, overthrowing the works of Satan that started in the garden. And he was crushing his rule that results in death in human beings' life. You won't see guilt in heaven. You won't see separation from God in heaven. And so Jesus used the phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, or the rule of God and the rule of heaven interchangeably. And you will see healthy bodies, blessing, joy, peace, love for God and love for others. You will see in heaven God's creation made perfect. And it is for this very reason that we can pray for people to turn from sin because that's a manifestation of the rule of the evil one. We can receive the forgiveness of God because that's an undoing of that curse and bringing us into a right relationship from him because of the evil one's activity in the garden. And we can pray for everyone to be healed and not give up until they're healed or till they die or Jesus returns. Because the will of God is established. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in heaven. And it's for this reason we can advance the kingdom of God on earth. With the conversations we have about Jesus. Remember he, came, he had a message. With social transformation and social justice and dealing with injustice and poverty. Remember, he he was a justice bringer. And with healing and deliverance, remember, he healed the sick and set the captives free. And so that's why we we can pray with confidence that whilst not everybody may get healed because the kingdom is not fully here yet, and it's our job to bring more and more and more and more of it, and we learn to grow how to do that, but whilst not everybody might be healed all in one go, or as much as we'd like because we're growing in it, tying our shoelaces up. It is the will of God for his kingdom to be fully restored to humanity and the works of the evil one to be undone. And remember this. Sickness in your body is not a result of your your personal sin or a personal evil. But let me tell you this. It is an evil in your body. It's an evil in your body, but you are not personally responsible for it. Because it came into the garden through Satan, it's an, it's a, who, was the, who, who brought the works of the evil one. Let me, let me explain this another way. You might be able to get this. You know all those people who live in maybe th- third world c- countries and living in absolute desperate poverty, don't have enough water, don't have an education, don't have warm clothes or housing, and they're living in, in the slums and in desperate poverty. Let me tell you something very, very clearly. Those people are not guilty because of their poverty. They're not morally responsible for their poverty, right? But the poverty that oppresses them and they're subjected to and they have to live in every day is an evil. Yes. It is an evil. And whilst we're not talking about everybody having to have, you know, personal airplanes and yachts and living lavish luxury, we're not talking about that. Poverty is an evil that we as the church are called to eradicate. Yes. Yes. Because of the devastation and the corruption and the damage it does to human beings. It breaks God's heart because that's not what the Garden even is like. And that's what the, the coming kingdom is like. So whilst it's not a personal moral issue, it is a moral issue. Sickness is the same. I've got sicknesses in my body. I've got things I'm praying for to be healed. I'm sure many of you have here. It's not a moral issue that you're sick. It's part of the fallen world that we live in. It took, and it has happened in the garden. But it is a work of the evil one in humanity that runs down to the very seat you're sitting on if you're sick here today. So, when we understand the nature of evil, when we understand the kingdom of God, and why Christ came, not just to get us to heaven, but to undo the works of the evil, because he wants all of creation back, and he starts with human beings, we we realize that it's an intolerable thing for a work of evil to remain in human experience. And that's why God hates sin and hates the manifestation of it so much. And that's why he came, to destroy the works of the evil one and crush the works of the enemy so there could be an unraveling of his kingdom and a restoration and a coming in of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So why doesn't everybody get healed? Well, one reason is the kingdom is here. It started when Jesus came. And the kingdom is coming through us, but it won't fully come until Christ comes. That's one reason. So we're, we're in the in-between phase, but it's our job to increase the kingdom and learn how to increase the kingdom and learn how to pray the sick and learn how to win people to Christ and learn how to eradicate poverty and learn how to change the world in the power of the coming age, the kingdom of God. And and I'm going to be honest with you, when it comes to healing, we're infants. We're not even in the shallow end. We're just dipping our toe in the water. The early apostles who hung around Jesus for three years, they were rocking and rolling with this. But because of church history, we've let it slide. And now we're picking it up again, and we have to move from Velcro into doing our shoelaces up. And become mature and grow in the kingdom of God. And grow in our understanding how to minister. And grow how to stand and how to fight. Remember, it says the kingdom of God is advanced forcibly. It's a forceful thing. It's not a passive thing. It's all about go. Go into the world, preach the kingdom. Go, I'm sending you. I'm giving you power and authority. Go, you'll... you'll Go, go, go. It's not a passive thing. It's something we're advancing. We're going. We have a militancy of spirit, not to harm but to liberate. We are liberators, and we do not do it on our ease, and we do not do it passively, and we do not do it by not taking it seriously, and we do not do it by being determined to grow. That's why Paul says to Timothy, stir up the gift that has been given in you through the laying on of hands. Stir it up. It's a spiritual gift, a spiritual power I've given you. It might have been prophecy, it might have been healing the sick, it might have been discernment, it might have been word of knowledge. But it's supernatural and powerful because it came with the laying on hands. And he says, just don't sit by the fire thinking about its warming glow. Stir it up, fan into flame, fan it into flame. And that's what kingdom people do. That's why the church is more akin to a a missional movement or an army of righteousness and liberation than a, a hospital. Armies have field hospitals that care for their wounded, but we are a missional movement to change the world just like Jesus did. As the Father sends me, so I send you. So not everybody gets healed because we haven't grown into the fullness of it yet and it won't happen until Jesus comes. But everything about the will of God, everything about the kingdom of God, everything about scripture and Jesus exhorts us to pray for healing, pursue healing and not give up healing until Christ returns or that person goes to be with the Lord. And the more we do that, the more we will see healing and greater healing. You do it by stirring it up, not by just sitting in our seats and saying, that was an interesting sermon on Sunday. You do it by standing and stirring and going for it. So in 2023, we're going to be focusing on three kingdom things, the community of God, To love one another like Christ loves us. We're going to focus on our mission because we've been sent to be a missional people. But in all of the many many missional aspects we're going to be focused upon what in recent church history has probably been one of the most neglected. The healing ministry of the kingdom of God that sends a signal that the kingdom is here and he's undoing the works of the evil one in human bodies. Amen. Thank you for listening.